I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Did I say you could sit down? Okay, I am so excited to be here with this, you this morning. I just want to look at all of you guys. So uh, this has been trying to happen for a while. I met Starla in London, fell in love with her right away, and I just want to pray over you, okay? So can I do that at the very beginning? Father, I just thank you that you have placed a people strategically in this land, in this time. And Father, I speak to the gift of God that is on their life. Father, as I minister today, I thank you that the Holy Spirit would quicken things in their life, that you're already moving on their behalf, that you've gone before them, and that you are their rear guard. And everybody agrees, say amen and amen. You guys can sit down. Worship was so beautiful. Okay, no, I'm not, I'm not even that coordinated. I'm going to give it back to you. Okay, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually only have one eye. Now, that's kind of a shocking thing to open up with, but it means that I knock things over a lot. So anyway, I'm going to show you my family because this is my first time here. So I'm going to throw my family up there so you can see what my world looks like. Okay, I am surrounded by men. Okay, I have four sons. This is Alexander right there. He is 25. Then next to him is Austin, who is 27. They are both single. If you are into Instagram stalking, I encourage it. They, I don't like Facebook. It's too weird, but Instagram works. It works. And then I have Addison right there. Addison is 30 years of age, and he is the father of four grandchildren. My beautiful daughter-in-law, Juliana, I had to import her from Texas, so I'm not beyond importing. Uh, then my husband of 30, 34 years, 34 years. As I'm speaking right now, he's at the LA Dream Center speaking, so we're kind of like tag teaming there. And then my baby boy, Arden, who is 22 and just got back from Hyderabad, India. I told him, I said, if you can do India, you can do anything. He and I are the only ones that have gone to India. I said, we are the hardcore people. I also, uh, I have grandchildren. Okay, I'm going to show you my grandchildren because I, okay, so here we have, we have Asher, we have Sophia. And we have Lizzie. And you can just kind of look at Sophia and tell that she's a handful. So there's Sophia. All right. She's awesome. Uh, That was the first female born to my family in more than 50 years. We thought a butterfly was coming. She's, She's meaner than all of the boys put together. I don't even know what to do except for repent because I think she might be me. And then my youngest grandchild, Mr. Augustus, he is only three months old. If you can put him up. There he is. And how amazing. I mean, someone who looks like an Arab has a grandchild who has blue eyes. I'm super excited about that. So I'm showing you those pictures because I just wanted to establish the fact that I am a Sicilian grandmother. And I don't know if any of you have a Sicilian grandmother, but now you do. Because while I'm here, I'm going to just adopt everyone as a Sicilian grandmother. And there are certain things grandmothers can do and grandmothers can say that mothers can't do or mothers can't say. Come on, you all love your grandparents more than your parents. You know, we, we, we are much more generous. We will take you shopping because we can't see the prices. So anyway, I'm going to talk to you about something that I feel is an important message for the body of Christ at large. 
I had the privilege of traveling and living on a bus for 10 days with Bethel. We went up and down the East Coast of the United States of America. I was the only grandmother, of course, on the bus. And we preached this message all over. I got to do it with Jesus culture. I've gone to Hillsong. I've done to Gateway. But I felt this morning when I got up, that it was supposed to be released here as well. And I'm going to be talking to you about a dynamic called the grit factor. It's G-R-I-T. Okay, now this is a real thing. I'm not just making this up because I ran out of, you know, messages. But grit factor is something that has been around since the time of Aristotle. Grit is a winning blend of tenacity, focus, diligence, and there's actually a test you can take online to find out how gritty you are. It's a test from one to five. If you take it while I am preaching, I will know, and I will come after you. I have six shots of espresso in my body, so I've been up since two. Don't, don't, don't cross me. But anyway, so I took the test with my men because, you know, I wanted to find out. I came in at an embarrassing 3.8. All of my guys were at a five. I think I was the only person that took the test. Honestly, though, there is two areas of challenge in my life that my boys don't have. Number one, I have the capacity to make procrastination look like work. People see me procrastinating and they think I'm just researching. They think I'm just pondering stuff. My husband always knows. He's like, that's procrastination. And if you have a problem with procrastination, you usually have another challenge as well. And that is that you are easily distracted. If I hear something more fun going on upstairs and I am working on a manuscript in the basement, I will come running up. My husband will say, get back down there. But the truth is, if I want to be able to accomplish stuff, then I'm going to have to up my grit factor. The personification of grit would be Winston Churchill. He said, if you're going through hell, you just keep going. Gritty people do not stop until the end of the story that they have in their heart is the end that they see in their life. Now, I don't know if you've had the horror of watching the American elections recently. I'm so glad that it's done, but I got up this morning and Donald Trump is still on television and Hillary is still on television. I'm like, are you serious? I can't get away from them. You can say what you want about Donald. You can say what you want about Hillary, but both of them are gritty. They are tenacious, they are focused, they are diligent, they will not be stopped. So gritty alone isn't going to be enough. We need both gritty and godly. And to get gritty and godly, we merge both the word of God with the worship of God. And because I've already established that I'm a Sicilian grandmother, I'm going to unpack this concept for you from the book of Romans. I'm going to cover three things. First and foremost, the reality of our God. Second, the reality of our day. And then the third part, which in my opinion is the most important, the reality of us. Romans chapter 1 verse 19 says, I'm going to read it out of the message paraphrase. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. This is telling us that just by pausing and pondering, 
by looking at the stars, by looking at the mountains, by looking at a flower, by looking at the ocean, that we have a revelation that there is something more than what we see. That everything that is seen declares the unseen God. But you and I live in a day and a time that does not want you to pause and it does not want you to ponder. We have the media telling us what we hear, telling us what we see, telling us what we think. But the truth is we all have to step back and have some sacred space in our life. I already mentioned to you that I have the honor, and I do consider it an honor, that as a 56-year-old woman, I still go and do youth conferences. And so many times I will have the millennials come up to me, and they will say, I know that God's hand is on my life to do something, but I have no idea what that something is. And I'm going to tell you, there's a reason for that. It's because you are called to do something that has never been done before. And when you are called to do something that has never been done before, you will never discover that when you look at what everybody else is doing. You won't find it in Facebook. You won't find it in Instagram. You won't find it in Twitter. You are going to have to pause. And you're going to have to ponder. And you're going to have to make room for some sacred space in your life. Because the truth is, we will not get a strategy from this earth. We're going to have to lift our eyes and see what heaven is saying to do. Because you and I are walking this earth in days and times that are prophetic. And in the last days, God begins to pour out his spirit on all people. The young and the old, the men and the women. And so the reality of our God is realized when we take a long and thoughtful look. But when I take a long and thoughtful look, I think, what the heck is going on? Do you feel that when you see what's going on in the news media? I'm like, what has happened in the last five years? People have gone cray-cray. This is insane. And God's like, I'm so glad you asked. Because I have the answer for you in the very next verse. Romans 1.21 says, What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But then when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him. They trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion. So that there was neither sense nor direction left in their life. They pretended to know it all, but they were illiterate regarding life. This is the reality of our day. People who know God, but refuse to worship him. See, worship means I actually bow my knee. Worship means my experience does not supersede the scriptures. Worship means that God alone is holy. God alone is first and foremost. See, the truth is... I will never have a revelation of what I am called to do until I have a revelation of whose I am. And we do not worship some God that is here to serve us. We worship the creator of all things. We worship the Lord thy God who is one. That doesn't mean he took first place in a God competition. It means he is the first and the last. He is everything. Our God is the creator and he is worthy of worship. And worship is not singing a slow song. Worship is a lifestyle, and the greatest form of worship you will ever have is the way you live your life, both in public and in private. Refusing to worship him, they trivialize themselves into silliness and confusion. 
I recently watched an interview. Thank God it wasn't an American, but most of them usually are. They were interviewing a 52-year-old father of seven from Canada who had decided to self-identify as a six-year-old girl. And they were asking him all these questions. And he said, well, now I go to work like a six-year-old girl. I drive my car like a six-year-old girl. I'm filling up that six-year-old girl love tank that was never filled up. I'm sitting here going, okay, now I just need to take this to a logical conclusion. If he is really a six-year-old girl, he shouldn't be driving a car. Because in America and in Canada, you have to be 16 to drive a car. And if he's really a six-year-old girl, then he shouldn't be working. That's child labor laws. But here's what I found the most confusing. Was that when they ask other people what they thought, do you think he's a six-year-old girl? Do you know not one person said, I think he is a man going through a midlife crisis? Not one person said that. Everybody said, you know what? We're learning all sorts of new things. <laughs> I didn't know we could self-identify age, but I guess we can. No, we have trivialized ourselves into silliness and confusion. It goes on to say, they traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. In so many ways... The Western church has become a prodigal church. We have taken our inheritance. We have demanded what is ours. And we have woken up tending pigs. And we are remembering what it was like in the Father's house. And I believe that God is saying to the church of Jesus Christ even now. Even now, if you will wake up and come to yourself, even now, if you will run back to me, even now, I will put a ring on your finger. I will put that robe of righteousness on you. But we can't continue to trade the image of God. We can't continue to merchandise the image of God. We need to acknowledge that we somehow forgot the goodness of God. I mean, I just came from Iraq, and I love that I am blessed, but I am blessed to be a blessing. I am blessed to do good. It isn't just about me and God blessing me. It is about me being a channel of God's goodness to this earth. And we can't hide and just sing about God's goodness unless we make sure we live out God's goodness. Now, in America, if you say anything that sounds like truth, people will say you're judging. But here's the challenge. We have to live the truth first. Because when we live the truth in love, then people will hear us speak the truth in love. And for too long, the church has been known for what she is against and not what she is for. And we need to be for people because God is for people, but he is not going to call a lie a truth. He is going to continue to declare truth. And then Romans 1.26 says, worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women and men didn't know how to be men. In the Western culture, they're doing sociological experiments on kids. They're asking 11, 12, 13-year-old kids to self-identify. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was not comfortable when I was 13. 
If somebody had asked me at 11, 12, or 13 to self-identify, I would have said, I'm a unicorn. I would have had absolutely no idea what I was. I would be like, I, I, this is the most awkward time period of my life. You do not ask people who are transitioning from boy to man or from girl to woman to self-identify. They don't know where they're going to land. You do create boundaries for them, and you don't sexualize things that are just normal. The truth is, I didn't care what was happening with the boys' bodies. I was trying to figure out what was happening with my bodies. It is normal. It is normal to have same-sex interest and curiosity when your body is changing. I remember I was like, is anybody else not growing breasts? What's going on with me? I didn't care what was happening out there. But we have taken curiosity and we have perverted it and set it as a sexualized desire. We need to protect our children and not put perversion on children. It's crazy out there. It goes on to say, sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men. All lust, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Empty of God and love. Godless and loveless wretches. Now I want to pause here. It is never God who makes this pay. When we build our lives with untempered mortar, when we think something that cannot meet our needs will meet our needs, and then pressures of life come down on us, and it falls apart. It is costly. And people are so desperate for the truth that you and I carry on our lives that they are going to the furthest extreme to try to bring healing and wholeness to themselves. And you know what? It is costly for them. And we need to understand that this reality of our day is a symptom of the church not being everything that we are called to be. Romans 1.28 says, Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then it closes out in verse 32. It is not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they are spitting in God's face, and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. Closing that of the reality of our day. Now I'm going to talk to you about what's the most important. The reality of us. Romans 2.1 says, these people are on a dark spiral downward, but if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through such smoke screens and holds you to what you have done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your fingers at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard. You know, the church has misdoings, competition, slander, idolatry, greed. These are all things that maybe look good on paper, but God actually sees. Maybe we're not in bondage to the same things we see out there in the world, but he sees these areas of our life. It goes on to say, or did you think that because he is such a nice God, he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he is not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Now I'm going to talk about me. I got saved at 21 years of age. Growing up in America, I had never heard the gospel. 
When I heard the gospel for the very first time, it was from the man who is now my husband. He was flirting to convert, which I know now is illegal, but praise Jesus, he didn't know that. And so he shared the gospel with me. I interrupted him. I said, I don't know what we need to do, but I want to do this Christian thing right now. I went back to my college dorm room, spent about an hour and a half looking for the book of Paul because John had said, Paul said this and Paul said that. And I had a way new Testament. I stood on its spine. I'm like, I need this to open to the book of Paul. It finally opened up to Corinthians where it says, if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. And I looked, I was like, oh my gosh, Paul wrote this. I found the book of Paul. I remember thinking, this is awesome. The next morning, I got up, and as soon as my feet hit the ground, I remembered hearing something I had never heard before. I heard, nothing happened last night. You're not a Christian. Your family is too dark. Your past is too bad. And when it was just the night before, it's really close. And I have a crazy family. My family was doing dysfunctional long before the Kardashians figured out how to make money off of it. My grandmother was a pioneer. She was married four times. She believed in upgrading husbands. My grandfather was one of the guys who developed the atom bomb, 32nd degree Mason. We were crazy people. My parents divorced, remarried, divorced again. My dad, 100% Sicilian. My mom, Apache Indian, French and English. My husband's lucky to be alive. I mean, we're talking about crazy, crazy genetics. And John knew that it was crazy as well. So thank God he told me, I'm going to give you this whole little suitcase of cassette tapes. Yes, we're that old. Cassette tapes. And you need to listen to these cassette tapes. So I drove from West Lafayette, Indiana, all the way to Tucson, Arizona, listening to these cassette tapes. But I didn't just listen to the tapes. I turned them up so loud that I could pray in tongues while I listened to the tapes because I had gotten born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and healed on my first date with John. So anybody that could do all that, you might as well just marry him. So a year and a half later, we had gotten married, but that's awesome. That's another story. But I remember I walked into the sorority house at 1050 North Mountain, and everybody was like, yay, Toscano's here. Let's go partying. I'm like, nope, I'm not going partying, and there will not be hazing of the freshmen this year. They're like, what? Yeah, I had been voted to be the marshal, which is the person in charge of all the initiation rituals. And there's only one qualification for the marshal. You have to be mean. And now I was a Christian, so I wasn't going to be mean anymore. They're like, darn it. And I'm like, if you don't like it, you can make me the chaplain. They're like, we can't even imagine you as a chaplain. But here's the thing. I remember just everything in my life had shifted. John had also told me, you need to read the word of God out loud. I don't know if you've ever read the word of God out loud in close proximity with demon-possessed people. But you will get a reaction. I'm in my sorority room reading the word of God out loud. I hear someone running down the hall. There's boom, boom, boom on the door. I open it. One of my sorority sisters is like, stop it. And I look at her. She looks at me. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It was just a demon. But you know what? I didn't, I didn't stop reading the word of God out loud because the demon didn't like it. You know what I did? I climbed the fire escape and I sat on the roof of my sorority house and I read the word of God out loud over my campus, over my life. I spoke to the mountains. I spoke to the kids I would have one day. I spoke to the man I would marry. When God has taken you firmly by the hand and led you into a radical life transformation, you'll start doing scary things. 
I remember I would walk the halls at night and I would put my hands on either side of the walls and I would call my sorority sisters out by name, out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And when you start to pray those kind of prayers, you're going to have other kinds of knocks on your door. I remember the first of a few freshman girls coming to me. And they said, we heard you used to be wild. We heard you used to be mean. We heard you used to be a hoe. And now you are a Christian. We don't know what you have, but we need what you have. I had only been saved for three weeks I remember I thought, I don't even know how to make somebody like a Christian. So I said, sit down, sit down and close your eyes. And I pulled a little Campus Crusade track off the shelf. And I made her repeat the entire track. But you know what? I remember it wasn't just about repetition. I remember the presence of God coming into my sorority room. And the presence of God began to heal people. And the presence of God began to fill people with the Holy Spirit. And then I started getting in trouble. Because when God has taken you firmly by the hand and led you into a radical life transformation, the leaders are going to knock on your door. And it's the people that get mad at you are not the heathen. It is the compromising Christians. I remember the president and the vice president said, you need to tone this Christian thing down. We're Christians. Do you see us acting like you? I was like, you're Christians? You've got to be kidding me. You came into my room every Saturday morning and you asked me to unpack my drunken escapades of the night before. You knew how broken I was. You knew how I was throwing away my life. You never once told me about Jesus. Not one time. And then I remember the first time I got to preach the gospel. It came at a very unexpected moment. I picked a stupid major. I don't know if I just picked a major based on, does this sound impressive in a conversation? Oh yeah, I'm an international economics major. I'm doing absolutely nothing with that, but I had picked that. I don't know why. And so that meant, you know, it was kind of easy early on, but near the end there was like tax accounting and stats and all this stuff that, do I, do I seem like I'd be good at any of that? No way. And these teachers, they were always like, let's do all of these finals on the same day. Let's just weed out the weaklings. And so I remember one of us was studying stats and another one of us was studying, you know, tax accounting. And we had been up all night. We were like shaking from coffee and vibrant when somebody who had the major I should have chosen with four boys, elementary education, she came just waltzing, floating in, clean, healthy, rested. And she looks at all of us and she's like, oh my gosh, you all look awful. Lisa, you look like you've been run over by a car. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. We're actually studying. Why don't you just go get your breakfast? But she felt like I just hadn't gotten the point. So she got her breakfast and she came back and she sat down at the table and she was like staring at us. And then she just pressed it a little bit further. And all of a sudden, the unregenerated Apache Indian Sicilian part of me began to tremble. And before I knew what happened, it came out my mouth. And I said, Kelly, why are you such a beep in the morning? A whole room froze. 60, 70 girls all stopped. Why? 
because the born again had just cussed. And up until that point, I had not cussed. Now, before that, I had cussed all the time, but I had learned how to make sentences without cuss words since I had been born again. And so now they're all looking at me like, what just happened? She stood up, though, and she pointed me out in front of everybody, and she said, I knew there was no way you could be a Christian. You're just too bad, and stormed out. My roommate grabbed my arm. She was like, Lisa, I was just about ready to say the same thing. Don't feel bad. And I said, well, I, I do feel bad. And I stood up and I looked at all of them. And I said, I owe you all an apology. See, the truth is nobody expects us to be perfect. But they do expect us to be humble. And when we defend and make excuses, when we make a mess, it ends up undermining the transforming work of Christ. You and I will always mess up, but we are not allowed to make excuses. We need to humble ourselves because the truth is the world is actually not really watching for you and I to fail. They are actually hoping that what we say we have, we truly have. They are actually hoping there is a hope in Jesus Christ. They are actually hoping there is transformation in Jesus Christ. And so my sorority sisters told me later, that's actually when we knew you were a Christian. See, they didn't see me praying on the rooftop They didn't hear me praying in tongues in the shower. They didn't see me walking the halls at night. But they saw me for the first time, somebody who had never, ever admitted they were wrong. Admitting they were wrong. See, my Bible still says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their own wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. Oh, the American Christians are all stressed out right now because they thought it was about an election. My country doesn't need an election. It needs a healing. It needs a healing. And if you are in this land, it is because you are an agent of healing for this land. It is because you can be the one who prays for this nation to prosper. It is because you are supposed to pray for the benefit of wherever you are. Because wherever you are, the presence of God is. Wherever you are, the goodness of God is. Wherever you are, God wants you to humble yourself so that he can begin to exalt you. God wants to do a new thing in this earth which means we're going to have to stop doing things in the old way. It goes on in the next verse, Romans 2, 5. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it is going to blaze hot and high. God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake, in the end, you get what's coming to you. Real life for those who work on God's side. But to those who insist on getting their own way and taking the path of least resistance, fire. If you go against the grain, you get splinters. Regardless of which neighborhood you are from, what your parents taught you, what school you attended. But if you embrace the way God does things, there are wonderful payoffs. Again, without regard to where you are from or how you were brought up. Can I just be honest with you? When I found out that the word of God was alive, when I found out that the word of God had the ability to refacet and shape my life 
that word, the word of God could cut me free from what I had known as my inheritance and position me for a legacy. When I found out that my children were either going to inherit God's promises or my fears, then I began to lay hold of the word of God and I lined my boys up every single night and I would say, you are for signs and wonders and miracles. You are not for death and destruction. You are disciples taught of the Lord and great is your peace and undisturbed composure. My boys were like, what's, what's composure? I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you need it. It will be there for you. See, you need to know that the word of God goes into your future and your children's future and your grandchildren's future. See, when I look at my grandchildren, I get gritty. Because the truth is, I am not going to believe that this is what they're going to inherit. People that are confused. And everything goes in cycles. When people turn from God, they turn to foolishness. When they begin to think they're wiser than God and that everything has changed and it's a new day, then they get, get undone. The very first case of self-identification is Lucifer. He said, I will make myself like the Most High. And anytime we decide to make ourselves in our own image to our own desires, it ends up being our unmaking. But here's the truth. God has something on your life that is exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, hope, pray, or believe. But he wants you to do all of those. He wants you to ask. He wants you to hope. He wants you to pray. He wants you to believe. And I believe that if you are here in Dubai, you got to be gritty. Because this is not an easy place to live. And this is not an easy place to prosper. And this is not an easy place to just do life. So there is something in you that the environment here is forging. There is a seed in your life. There is something that comes out that is on you that comes out in this place. So we're going to position you for both gritty and godly. That you would be doers of the word and not hearers only. I am not content with what I have seen. I did not become a Christian so that I could be a speaker. I didn't even know women could speak. I was raised Catholic. I was just trying to be quiet. So I did not become a Christian to have like a traveling ministry and write books. I became a Christian because I was a broken girl. And God came in and told me that he loved me. And not only did he tell me that he loved me, he healed my body and he gave me a hope and he gave me a future. Now I know that you are here on a Friday morning because there is something more inside of you than what you have seen. So I'm going to ask you if I can do the honor of praying for you the way I pray for my children. Can you stand to your feet right now? And some of you are like, I'm older than you. Well, I'm still going to pray for you like I pray for my kids, okay? So I want you just to lift up your hands. Father, I thank you that they will see up close what other generations only saw in the distance. Father, that they will speak out loud what other generations only had the courage to whisper. Father, I thank you that they will lay hold up with their hands what other generations only touched in prayer. You are for signs and wonders and miracles. You are not for death and destruction. Do not be content. You are not a citizen 
of this earth. You are a citizen of eternity. Lift your eyes. Open your heart. Create sacred space. And let the most high God begin to seed you with his dreams and his plans and his hopes that he has for you. Because they are plans to do good and not to harm you. Plans to give you that hope and the future in Jesus' name. And everybody that agrees, say, amen and amen. Be gritty and godly in Jesus' name.